good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut, hidden cut again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Welcome to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. Hey, we discuss local, national, native news and events. And as you know, Haley, native issues are human issues and human issues are native issues. You're absolutely right, Dega. This portion of the show is supported by Native American Community Development Institute or NACDI in Minneapolis. Hey, speaking of which, we have Robert Lilligren, who is the CEO of NACDI, and we are so uh always fun to have robert on and uh, a lot of information here in the twin cities and all over turtle island robert's uh like a, a glass ceiling breaker um and we are always pleased uh to have you on and you know as former city council member and i i just got to say this too we had your candidate on and she won she did win. I'm thrilled. Katie Cashman in Ward 7 elections just on Tuesday. So it was it was good news. And it's great to be here. It's, I've been away for a few weeks. So it's good yeah. to be back. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's so much going on. And, you know, this is a show that we could probably start our own network and have continuous news going on in, in Indian country. And a lot of things happening in Minneapolis and Minnesota and all over the five-state area. But, uh we still are going to be talking homeless, even though it's a scary warm today. Um, it, that's not what's going to be happening soon, Robert. Yeah, you're exactly right, Robert. It is beautiful here in Minneapolis today. It must be 65 degrees or warmer. Uh, but winter is coming, right? And we have a lot of our relatives uh, living outside, sleeping outside. And, and so plans for how to best care for our Relatives who are unsheltered uh, are ramping up really quickly. A lot going on in in, in Minneapolis, and uh, we have some major encampments. Again, there's one very near the NACTI office called uh, Ninokasi, I believe is how you say it in Ojibwe, and it's a, a camp community of about 200 people. Wow! That yeah, and it's on city property, a city. Uh, private uh, city-owned lot. The the mayor called a bunch of us into his office this week to to meet on it and to discuss it. And you know, it's a it's difficult. You know, the city has sort of a zero tolerance for encampment, and somehow this encampment has been allowed to remain for about three and a half months now. And they haven't moved on it. And then the community's very split on this. You know, we all want what's best for our relatives, but we disagree on what the approach is. And so some people are very protective of encampments and protective of the people there. Some of us are more interested in seeing seeing our relatives in more safe and stable housing with the services and support they need. And so it's very dynamic. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's a lot of, lot going into it. I know uh, during the Wall of Forgotten Natives, it's uh, I learned a lot and... and um, you know, Wendy worked in the HIV community uh, for many years and sure. uh, saw a lot of our, our relatives there that she knew. And of course, she didn't tell me who they were or that she saw anyone until well, well after we were there. But there were so many different issues of everything from uh, afraid to go to a uh, shelter and get their only belongings stolen and things like that. It's just it's just things I had no idea about. Right. Well, on the Wall of Forgotten Natives that you talk about was a really large and high-profile encampment here in Minneapolis. We'd never really seen anything like that. That was five years ago. What? If you can believe it, I know. And not much has changed in the system to support our relatives since then. But it was a, it was an encampment of about 200-plus tents, maybe some two, 300 people in a very, very public place right in the native community along the American Indian Cultural Corridor and and it changed a lot of people's perspectives and mm-hmm. 
you know, it was very telling that when our relatives felt they needed help, they came right into the heart of the community, right, and set up this major encampment. We all learned a lot. These were people that had been living without shelter previously, just not together. Right. Uh, and it's really reframed the dialogue since then, but um, but not a lot has changed in, in the system. And, you know, I'm sort of part of the system, and I'll take some accountability, but it's been so frustrating. And I remember back during the era of the Wall of Forgotten Natives, our state housing authority uh, convened the interagency, Minnesota Interagency Council on Homelessness. So it was all of the the cabinet members, all of the state agencies that could do something about it. And at that time, we got some new data from HUD that disaggregated Mm -hmm. uh, data around unsheltered homeless homeless people. And at the time, Native people were 17 times more likely than white people in our state and region to be unsheltered. And that was the first time I saw that statistic. And I started crying. It was really traumatic. So today... A native person is 28 times more likely to be unsheltered than a white person in our region. And so, so we're moving the dial in the wrong direction. Wow. 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 Is that just because the, the waiting list for public housing are so long or why is that? Well, I have my opinions, Haley. Thanks for asking. But I think it's because there's a, a sort of an unwillingness from those who hold resources that can really address the issues that contribute to a person being unhoused. Uh, they're unwilling to step in because it's going to be costly. It needs to be people-centered. It needs to be culturally specific, and it's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. And so you have all the public jurisdictions, the city, the county, the state. You know, you have the philanthropic resources, the service providers, but none of them are really stepping in to collaborate and commingle their resources. And I suspect that if we were willing to do that and step in with our resources rather than, than step out and sort of protect our, our, our silos, I suspect we haven't re- enough resources going in to the solutions that we could actually move the dial in the right way. But until something or someone makes us all sit together put all of our resources on the table and figure out how we can uh, better leverage them, we're going to keep struggling like we are today. Well, it showed, one of the things that COVID showed when we were totally shut down, Robert, is that there is resources. There were resources coming out of the clear blue sky, whether it was for vaccines and all these things. So I'd like to see him make one less B1 bomber for a billion dollars and house everybody that needs housing. Here, here. And it's more than just housing, right? If the, right. If the solution were as simple as a roof over someone's head, we'd, we'd be solving this, right? There's, uh, there needs to be a solution specific for each individual who is in housing, and each of our relatives living outside. And, and that's not going to be easy. But I am with you. I think our priorities are, are misdirected and, and, that we need to center the people, right? This is this is very interesting. It's interesting having folks. This current camp has about two hundred people living mm-hmm. in it, and you know it's being run in a in a more community focused, people centered way. Our relatives do ceremony every day there. They're they're trying to keep order, but it still isn't ideal mm-hmm. for someone to be uh, to be living there. But there's an advantage when you have a bunch of our relatives together. You can engage them. I think of the 200 people at the current camp, big encampment, 125 of them, I think, have housing vouchers so they mm. can be navigated toward safer, more permanent housing. That is a bit of an advantage of having them, having some, having folks all together. You can, you can touch more people's lives. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, we got a couple minutes here in the segment. Um, I, I always like Robert, uh, and I know we talk about a lot of things that are happening, and I always like to get a uh, call to action. What do you think our listeners can do uh, as a call to action? Yeah, I think um, engage two things. One is engage with policymakers and other resource holders, making it clear this is a priority, not just clear the camps, but to really care for these people. And the other is engage with some of the community level grassroots service providers. You know, don't just show up and 
drop off a bunch of clothes or, or food, but there's a lot of coordinated efforts going on and, and just look for who's, who, who's helping out. Yeah. Wow. Hey, we're here with Robert Lilligren, uh, CEO of Native American Community Development Institute here in the Minnesota Twin Cities, Minneapolis. We'll be right back after the short break. More with Robert. Stay with us. If the statistics say that one in three Native women and one in six Native men have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime, it don't stand by. CD is affected by sexual violence. One is too many. Don't stand by. Stand up. Don't engage in acts of sexual violence and shut down the dirty jokes, the gossip, the victim blaming and shaming. As a community, we can change the way we respond. Contact the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition to attend a workshop to learn more. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Are you thinking about college? Consider checking out Minnesota Private Colleges. These 18 nonprofit institutions keep the focus on students with small classes and professors who will get to know you. You'll find students from all backgrounds, and no two colleges are alike. And when it comes to cost, they're more affordable than you think. Find the college that's right for you at mnprivatecolleges.org slash possible mnprivatecolleges.org slash possible. Back to school season is here. And while this is an exciting time for parents, kids, and educators, let's not forget how far we've come in our battle against COVID-19. We're in a better place, but COVID-19 is still here, and we need to continue to help protect our communities. With the flurry of new schedules and classrooms, let's not overlook the fundamentals of staying safe. Wash your hands regularly and watch for any symptoms like fever, chills, a cough, or shortness of breath. Should you or someone you know have COVID-19 symptoms, stay home and get tested. Find more tips on continuing to be safe at health.state.mn.us. Let's have this back-to-school season be a time of renewed commitment to our collective health and brighter future for our Native communities. Again, find more tips on continuing to be safe at health.state.mn.us. This message is brought to you in partnership with the Minnesota Department of Health. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Great organization, been with us for over six years on Native Roots Radio, and uh, really, uh, I just have to give a shout out too, quick to uh, the owner of AM950. He plays those PSAs all day and doesn't have to, and I just want to give a big shout out to Chad. When I'm listening to AM950, I hear uh, Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition PSAs playing, and I just uh, think what a great partnership we have with AM950. Absolutely. Hey, hey, Haley, before we get to back to Robert, do you know what time of year it is? Um, you know, I think Thanksgiving's coming up, but <laughs> yeah, I don't Robert, know. Is it do your you know? birthday? <laughs> no, it's always my birthday. We're always celebrating. Robert, do you know what time of year it is? I do know. It's time to uh for Minsure, right? For- <laughs> hey, that is Minsure. Wow, our guest knows and we don't know. I just uh think that's awesome. You must have been listening to the show. Uh, how can we get a hold of Minsured, Haley? Yes, so you guys can visit minsured.org. That's M-N-S-U-R-E.org to find an affordable plan that fits your needs. Absolutely. Hey, we're here with Robert Lilligren, again, CEO of Native American Community Development Institute, which is goes by NACD. And uh, that it's that time of year again, Robert. I'm wondering, uh, it's give to the max. Can we give a shout out to uh, your organization here? Yes, please give to the Max Day. So it's a it's an aggressive uh, fundraising day. Folks mm-hmm. can go to nacti.org, nacdi.org, uh, if they want to give give to NACTI and support our incredible 
or work there. And, and there's just a number of Native organizations who participate. And, and it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Robert and Haley, but uh, it looks like giving is kind of down. Mm-hmm. to uh, charitable organizations and so we're trying to buck the trend here in minnesota so if you can please give to the max yeah right on hey uh robert too speaking of which i've seen out of your organization a lot of really cool videos on instagram uh i haven't seen them on youtube or facebook but i imagine they are but i have seen them pop up on instagram about making voting a tradition yeah, Make Voting a Tradition, a hugely successful uh, civic engagement initiative at NACD. Uh, that's an intergenerational approach to engaging Native folks, not just at the ballot box, which is important, but in holding elected officials accountable and engaging in policymaking. But, uh, you know, we get kids to bring their grandmas and grandmas to bring their grandchildren and, and really start reintegrating voting as a core, core value within yeah. the community and and i appreciate your mention on those videos we have them in our other for our other program areas as well uh food sovereignty with four sisters mm-hmm. arts and culture with all my relations arts and over the last maybe year and a half two years we've really centered storytelling in our organization and we've established a, a group internally of three that kind of lead the storytelling team and and it's really made a difference it's kind of turbocharged our ability to get to get information about our organization out there so i appreciate you mentioning that robert yeah hey there's something that uh, i was just invited to uh going on uh friday and it's always an exciting uh uh thing in downtown st paul uh the minnesota rise yeah native rise event it's called hashtag native rise it's actually happening in minneapolis this year robert oh i don't know (laughs) for the first time uh yeah it's on windows of minnesota so on the 50th floor of the ids center so uh, wow yeah and the theme is soaring to new heights but this is uh a social and dinner and program and an event that celebrates what we're doing here in the Native community. And mm-hmm. it's a great networking event. We get a lot of policymakers and other resource holders. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm pretty sure it's sold out yeah. at this point. Our um, uh, feature will be uh, Kara Jade Myers, uh, who mm-hmm. plays Anna and Killers of the Flower, uh, Flower Moon, and who's also a organizer and writer and and it's just a really special event that yeah. has been put on by uh, the American Indian OIC and Dr. Joe Hobot for let's just be about five years now. Yeah. Something like that. Well, I remember it was really bougie the first year I wasn't invited. So, but I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been sneaking in ever since. No, but, you're, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. If it is a little bougie, but it's, you know, a good group of Native folks. Our Lieutenant Governor, my white earth sister, Peggy Flanagan, will be a featured speaker there and it's just it's it's a great forum to kind of get our messages out and uh, we'll also have a local comedian trish cook from red drink who will be performing so it's it's going to be something special i'm glad you can make it yeah and thank and thanks for the invite i i I think it's really important that we talk about these things uh because uh, a lot of our uh our our people that listen to the show are white are white uh people that uh, enjoy us natives and support our natives, our white allies, they really don't hear about these these things that we do in this kind of a, a kind of a fun sna- fun and snazzy way. Um, yeah. they think of us uh, in different ways, but it's really good. I'll be able to. I'll probably wear a sport coat and put on that uh, cool polo bolo tie I have too. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, it is kind yeah. of fun, and it's uh, but this is a uh, it's a power building strategy. Yes, right? it's to let people who make decisions about our community, who hold resources that can support our communities, it gives them an opportunity to to see what we're doing, and it's always been a good time. And uh, were you there last year when there yeah. was a serious ice storm? Yeah, hit just before, I think yeah. it took me an hour plus to get to St. Paul, which is usually about a fifteen-minute drive from here. But looks like we'll have better weather this year. Well, you know, you talk about uh, we talk about thing uh, uh, groups like this or happenings like this uh, around the Twin Cities, and 
I know uh, Haley was really impressed that the governor knows my first and last name. Uh, but that's but that's how open this administration is too. Agree, agree. We're very fortunate here, and and I and I think we as a community are taking uh, advantage of the of the access and opportunities we have. No, this event being being a perfect example. At our table tomorrow, we'll have um, two incumbents, Minneapolis City Council members who are very, from very different sort of ends of the political spectrum on the council. Uh, we like everyone to, you know, get together and get along and cover our bases. <laughs> we'll also have a new council member elect, Katie Cashman. Hey. We had on the show. Yep. So she will be there as well. So, so again, it's an opportunity to, to help educate these influencers about, about our community. Well, it's exciting. And I think every little bit helps, uh, you know, she won by a, a, a kind of a tight margin there. And I think, you know, whatever we could do here at Native Roots Radio to help or, or to get the word out of who this young candidate is. Um, what about St. Paul? All women uh, city council members, and I think all seven are under 40 years old. Yep. And by far, a majority of them are women of color, right? Yes, so all but one. That's historic. That's wonderful. And you know, I'm, I've always been about, you know, trying to lift up the next generations. I wasn't involved in the St. Paul City Council races, but I'm satisfied as someone who's now entering my elder years. I'm very satisfied having this youth, more youthful council. Katie Cashman on the Minneapolis side that we were talking about, she's just 30. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I was looking through the profiles of the city council candidates here in our Star Tribune, which is our big daily paper and it was interesting the closer they were to 30 or under 30 their priority um was environment and climate change mm. and i mean that was almost to a person and i know katie says the same thing katie cashman council member elect she said that's the that's the issue of her generation that's the crisis of her generation and and i i find some comfort in having these young elected officials prioritize climate. Well, and not only the young ones, but we talk about this all the time uh, here on Native Roots Radio, but our Gen Zs are engaged and running for office and are going to save us, and they don't get polled. So when you see these polls for Biden only up 4% or or on and on and on, right. it's a year away from the election right now, so it is getting to be that time of year. Uh, but I, they aren't, uh, you know, asking the Gen Zs who they're voting for. They don't pick up their phone. You know, they'll text you maybe, but they aren't right, picking up right. for a poll. Right. And that's the biggest voting block, right, going into 2024. Yep. It's a whole different electorate. You know, I, I love that you said they'll save us. That's what I'm counting on as well. You know, that's that's where we need to be focusing energy and effort is engaging younger voters, you know, you talked about our Make Voting a Tradition effort. Yeah. In the state of Minnesota, you can now pre-register 16 and 17-year-olds. So yeah. they're ready to vote when they're 18. We've been focusing on that as well. And yeah, so I'm I'm hopeful for 2024 as well from what we've seen this election cycle around the country. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many things that uh, if you're watching CNN or MSNBC or any of those stations that are are freaking out about uh, the red vote coming in. And then the the final uh, results the next day was like, they were freaking out in the, in the blue states or the red states uh, became blue states and or in the blue states stayed blue states. And uh, so don't listen to these polls. Nope. Just get out and vote and get your neighbors and friends and family out to vote as well. All right. Hey, we're Robert Lilligren. Really appreciate you stopping in. Have a great night. Uh, it's warm. And uh, do you remember the old days of uh, you could smell South St. Paul when they had the stockyards? That's what I feel yeah. like today. Have you been outside? Yeah. I don't know if someone's put manure down in their yard or something, but that's all I can smell when I was outside. I know. Today, I'm staying so. indoors until I have to leave <laughs> now. Hey, thanks again. I'll see you Friday. See you Friday. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This is Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake. Mm-hmm. 
Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live live and and let let howl. howl. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Hi, I'm Claudia with Minsure, Minnesota's official health insurance marketplace. With Minsure, you can compare health plans from multiple companies and get free help from a trusted expert. Whatever health plan you choose with Minsure, it's guaranteed to cover essential benefits so you can get the care you need. See if you qualify for discounts available only through Minsure. If you need quality, comprehensive health insurance, get started now at Minsure.org. Are you ready to make a difference? Better Futures Minnesota is calling on you to join their Breaking Barriers to Employment fundraising campaign during Gift to the Max, now through November 16th. Better Futures Minnesota provides job training and essential support to a population of men who have been locked out of society, living in chronic poverty with histories of incarceration, persistent unemployment, untreated mental illness, addiction, and homelessness. Your tax-deductible donation, no matter the size, can help break down the barriers to employment and pave the way for brighter futures. Let's stand together as a community and show our support. Visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and click the Give to the Max button at the top of the page to contribute to this vital cause. Your dollars will directly impact someone's journey to employment. Your support can change lives. Please act today. Visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and make your tax-deductible contribution before or on November 16th. Thank you, Minnesota, for your generosity. Hi, this is Gina. Matthew, I will not read this next line. I'll be your snookum-wookums. Fine. My husband is the sexiest radio host in Minnesota, Matt McNeil. Dang straight. When it came time to replace my vehicle, I wanted an option that was safe in the environment. I wanted a hybrid. My RAV4 hybrid is a greener vehicle without sacrificing style and comfort. I love my Toyota hybrid. Toyota hybrids are incredibly fuel efficient. Test drive one today at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Native Roots Radio Network on Patreon. That's Native Roots Radio Network on Patreon. Hey, give and give plenty. We really appreciate uh, everyone that gave over the time of COVID. We really needed that funding and to keep going uh, uh, on our radio show. So I really appreciate that. Hey, we're here with Justin Broken Rope. And uh, first of all, I really love your name, and it's good to see you again. And second off, we just played a little bit of music there, and uh, let's talk a little bit about that. But first, I'd love to have you introduce yourself again to our audience. Sure. Oh, Madakiyepi, Justice Broken Rope, Makiyapido, Chante Washte Nape Chizapido, Sichanko Yanke, Mataha, Nakuana, Watecha Records, Wawa Dakekte. Hello, my relatives. My name's Justice Broken Rope. Uh, I'm enrolled over at Rosebud uh, Reservation, South Dakota. Today, I'm going to talk about Watecha Records. Yeah, let's get right into it. We just played a, a little cut there uh, that you're working with. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Watecha uh, Records. Yeah, so Watecha Records um, basically is kind of a project that I started a little over a year ago, 
um, I, I was, I've been collecting records for, I don't know, since I was in middle school or something. And, um, at a certain point realized that, uh, these records I was collecting and like these bands I was finding out about intersected with kind of our cultural identity. And so I started just picking up any native records that I would find. Uh, and these would usually be like country or folk or like 60s, 70s rock records. Uh, and a lot of them were kind of underground artists or never made it off their reservations. And so I thought at this point in time, I should start trying to catalog these and upload them and uh, ideally make them more accessible and available for their families and communities that they came from. So yeah, for the, for the past year, I've been trying to document uh, and kind of archive these records and then concurrently with that DJing them as well. Wow. That's so. awesome. Where, where can people find uh the records you have uh, documented so far? Uh, the ones that I've digitized, are they go up on YouTube. Usually I try and get three or four albums up a month. Um, and then everything is also posted on an Instagram account. Uh, and both of those are watecha.records, uh, W-A-T-H-E-C-A dot records. Um, but yeah, everything goes up on there and I still have probably a couple hundred records I haven't digitized yet. So it's going to be an ongoing thing. Well, that's awesome. So do you just put the picture of the album up, uh, for, for YouTube? Is that, is that how you, is that how people can visually see it too? Yep. Yeah. I'll scan or take a photo of, um, the sleeve of the jacket, the front and the back, and then, uh, any other information usually that I can put on the description, uh, like if you can find out who's in the band or what families they're from, reservations, et cetera. Wow. That's awesome. I love history and that's, uh, that's history and, uh, that's unmarked history too. And especially in those days when you could cut an album, uh, and basically sell it and promote it yourself, it isn't so controlled like the record companies are nowadays, um, yeah so who are some of your favorite what what are some of your favorite albums uh that you've discovered and i want to ask you too what were you surprised uh about you know what surprised you the most yeah i mean i think maybe when someone asked me that question like well who's your favorite native rock band um it's hard to pick one but this band Sugluck comes to mind. They're like a seven, I think mid seventies band um, up in uh, Canada, First Nations Inuit band. And uh, they just sound like their reservations version of CCR. They, they absolutely rock. And when you listen to, you know that people were going buck wild at wherever they were playing back in the day. Uh, and I've seen photos of them and yeah, I mean, wearing the leather fringe jackets and bell bottoms and boots and, uh, I don't know. That's probably my favorite band that I've come across through this. Um, I'm Lakota, so Buddy Redbow is a huge one for me. Um, uh, Winterhawk, Morris Belknap, I think he's a patchy uh, country guy in the early 70s. So those are some of the ones that I go back to and default to as, as my favorites. But it's kind of this ongoing thing where I this is like you were saying, kind of something that hasn't been documented much at all. And so I keep finding things uh, and a lot of it's been overlooked because yeah, these were native artists back in a day when it wasn't popular to be a native artist and they weren't able to get off the reservation or get much radio play. And so these things are out there and they haven't been digitized. They're not on Spotify, not on YouTube a lot of the time. So just trying to find them and bring them out to a wider audience when I can. That's awesome. So in, in this process, have you found anyone that's in these bands or uh, have they reached out to you or, or is, is anyone go, that's my record or that's my uncle's record? Yeah, actually. And that's kind of where the most rewarding part of this is, is on the YouTube videos. Um, they, uh, their relatives will comment a lot of the time. And uh, that's been you know, it's brought tears to my eyes a couple of times where I'll see someone who, you know, it's like, oh, my grandma used to play this record while she was cooking. I haven't heard it in 40 years. Or, uh, yeah, we used to sing this song when we were in boarding school. Like, it's just uh, some of them can be really heavy, but they're always coming from a really positive place. And it's just great to be able to, I don't know, we live in this era where you can upload anything at any time. But when someone can connect with music like that again, that they maybe haven't heard 
in 40, 50 years, you know, I think that's really powerful. And so for me, that's, that's the most important part is trying to get these records out there and um, making it so people can hear them again, because they're hard to find. And a lot of them are really expensive sometimes because they're so rare. Uh, but I want the families and the communities they're from to hear them first and foremost. That's amazing. Uh, you could almost do a whole show on, on that, uh, do a podcast or, or whatever on that because, uh, music's good medicine. I was going to ask you too, uh, were there any Chicago like bands back that you've run into a horn band of any kind? Cause I, uh, played trumpet for 40 years. Yeah, I think, um, Maybe Archie Kavanaugh, I believe. Uh, I can't remember what tribe he is from. One of his records got reissued, but that's more kind of on um, like almost there's a lot of like disco beats, but adult contemporary. And so a lot of horns and things like that on that. But yeah, I can send you some stuff that I know of. Uh, I can track cool. down too. <laughs> that would be cool. And it would be really cool too is that uh, if you find somebody, we'd love to have you have them come on and interview them uh, on native roots radio. That would be really cool. Um, Cause that's a gold mine. That's history. Uh, that's music, as you know, with the powwows and our, all the different songs we have uh, really hit us in our heart. And so, you know, there, there's, you know, we were, we were making music and we were also in the music business and, uh, you know, not just Robbie Robertson, but thank goodness he was around for when he was around. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, we can't add, uh, Buffy St. Marie anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can have a album burning, uh, uh, a night or something here on native Ritz radio, but there's more. And I think that's in, in all seriousness, I think that's one of the, the things that, that we have to remind ourselves as native Americans is that there's a lot more artists out there that are being portrayed, whether it's actors, singers, um, that are native American that are, you know, not getting the thumbs up. Okay. By our white community, but are in, been in our native community all these years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that, um, these, these albums and these bands can be heard by the people that heard them first and who were they, they were made for. Um, I don't know. I just think that's so genuine. And a lot of the times they're talking about their communities or what they were doing to have fun, like anything going on at that time back then. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's from a real place and it's from kind of the overlooked artists of the genre back in the day. So, so when you DJ, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So w I think of a DJ because I'm, you know, I'm a hip dude from an NWA era. It's not the same kind of, not the same kind of uh, DJing. It's more of playing these music uh, through. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and where and, and uh, what we would expect to hear and see when you do that. Yeah. So, uh, I do do physical like DJing at events. I have turntables and, um, you know, in the twin cities, it's been like, yeah, four sisters, farmers market, um, that Owamni water festival, things like that. I'll get invited to, uh, I DJ, uh, an indigenous film event at the Walker recently. Um, so I do that and yeah, I, I people can book me for doing those sort of things. And then, I also have a couple radio shows um, that have streamed from these platforms, Beloved out of Chicago and then NTS that's based in London. And so those are nice because I get to um, create the whole recording in Dakota. So any of the, any of me yammering on during the, the session is all in Dakota. There's no English spoken on them. So that, wow. that is in line with the, kind of my language revitalization component where we're creating more media in Dakota and Lakota to have out there. So yeah, those are kind of the main two outlets that I have for doing this. Well, that's play. You know, what, what do you want to say about the band that we're playing right now? Uh, this is Washita Love Child by Jesse Ed Davis, a Kiowa guitarist from Oklahoma, but he did sessions with George Harrison, Clapton, Taj Mahal. Just wrote a bunch of bangers and a true rocker. Wow. Hey, uh, so we're, let's talk about the YouTube. We're, what's the YouTube called again? 
The YouTube's uh, watecha.records, uh, W-A-T-H-E-C-A dot records. And it's the same with Instagram as well. Um, and then that's also my email uh, for contacting me for gigs or information, things like that. So it's uh, it's out there. But yeah, if um, you just look up Watecha Records on Google, you'll find some of this stuff. And hopefully a record awesome. that you haven't heard in 30, 40 years. Justin, we got to do this again and have a longer segment because I think there's more we can dive into. Hey, thanks for coming in, and let's uh, catch up again. And Peeny Gigi, thank you for all your other work, too, as a language instructor and keeping keeping uh, our Native community alive. I hope you don't know. Minnesotans age 65 plus might qualify for Health Partners Minnesota Senior Health Options. The plan includes personal support, coverage for medical prescription drugs and dental, plus over 30 extra benefits. Eligibility information is available at healthpartners.com slash one plan. Health Partners is a health plan that contracts with both Medicare and the Minnesota Medical Assistance Medicaid program to provide benefits of both programs to enrollees. Enrollment in Health Partners depends on contract renewal. Unveil the captivating world of native photography at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Their new exhibit, In Our Hands, Native Photography 1890 to Now, turns the camera around and puts native photographers in control, featuring hundreds of photographs captured by generations of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and Native Americans. You'll view the world through their lens, revealing the beauty and complexity of indigenous heritage. Don't miss this incredible experience. Visit In Our Hands at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, now through January 14th. For more info, visit artsmia.org. Be a vaccinative. As the fall season continues, new COVID-19 variants threaten the health of not just you, but our elders as well. These new variants might even evade previous vaccines. That's why it's important to stay up to date. The newly authorized vaccines target current variants effectively and are FDA approved for ages six months and older. But there is an important note. These are the first COVID vaccines to be commercialized, which means there may be costs associated with them. Speak with your health insurer about your coverage before scheduling an appointment to avoid a surprise bill. For those without health insurance, help is available. Ask your health clinic about options or visit vaccines.gov for free locations. Getting vaccinated protects you from severe disease. Don't put yourself or elders at risk. So be a vaccinative and protect our community. You can visit vaccines.gov for free vaccine locations. This message is brought to you in partnership with the Minnesota Department of Health. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh, that was a good call. Hey, we're here with Dr. Maureen Hackett of uh, Howling for Wolves and, uh, We're always excited to howl with you, and uh, we'd love to have an update. I mean, we haven't had you on in a while, and we know Give to the Max is uh, happening, and uh, we just love talking to you and checking in. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Robert. It's always really nice to talk to you guys. Um, And we have had a lot of things go on, and Give to the Max is a time for us to sort of wrap it up for people. I think if you go to our Give to the Max page, we say some things which is really cool. Uh, We redid it and we actually have an ad that we link to from the Give to the Max, which will inspire people to give, but also is slightly educational. It gives the ecological message. It says basically wolves uh, um, keep deer moving to uh, increase plants that support birds and fish. And so uh, I love the way the guy, the uh, voice read this ad. Anyway, so you can go see that on our Give to the Max page. 
And, um, but since, oh, I think we last talked, Robert, with um, my talking about the new research showing that uh, human causes of wolf deaths massively increases with the wolf hunting and persists long after the wolf hunting ended. I think we spoke about that. Do you remember? Yeah, I think I think I don't memory too hard, but anyway. So in July, there's this new research that came out, and and it was published in Nature, and it looked at the DNR's data, their own collared wolf data over 16 years, and they found that starting with November of 2012, the uh, amount of wolf deaths overall more than doubled, and wow. the, and the causes of deaths caused by humans more than tripled. So it went from like a 20% death rate, the trend like this, and then it jumped. There was a trend jump to a new trend. And now it was 43% death rate overall. And 35% of that was human causes. So human causes used to be only 10%. And then it jumped up to 35.5%. Anyway, so I, uh, not to be a, a Debbie Downer here. So what we've done though, is with that information, it came at a very good time. I mean, this is a nature publication, if you can imagine that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had a meeting. I was allowed a meeting with the Department of Natural Resources Commissioner. Wow. That was astounding. I had n- never had that before. And uh, they even allowed me to record it. Oh. Yes. And um, we went to church on these, this research. And basically I said to them, um, wolves are already dying. You're tasked with protecting them. And let's change the whole plan so that the public can help you. Because the public would love to not have wolf hunting and support wolves, support the DNR and their research for wolves, support the DNR, maybe even help them count wolves or change out the camera, you know, uh, uh, memory uh, in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere when they need to do that. Anyway, so we had this great meeting with the DNR. And then uh, recently, we are moving forward with our plans to have legislation, and that is to remove wolf hunting from state law. It's, it's the minimum that we should be doing now that we know wolves are dying so much. That wow. data went through 2019. The hunts ended in 2014. Wow. So it, it, the, the jump in the death rate was drastic and continuous. Anyway, so um, we had a great event, though, uh, in in the East Metro yesterday Mm -hmm. in Afton at the historic Afton Inn. And um, we are partnering with HSUS, Humane Society of the United States. Uh, I'm sure Wendy would be very excited to hear about it. And um, we're, we're working together on this legislative effort. And at this uh, town hall meeting, where we had people from Senate District 41, which is Senator Seaberger's district. And Senator Seaberger, we think, um, needs persuading, but is persuadable. She's a Democrat. She had a close race, but there's not an election coming up for three years for her. Mm -hmm. And um, we think if we just uh, really get people in the East Metro area to push on their senators this legislative session, that we can influence the few senators we need to influence on the Democratic side. And one is Senator Seberger, and there are a few others, uh, Senator Frentz in Mankato. So tomorrow night, we have a town hall meeting in Mankato. Starts at six o'clock. People can walk in. They don't need to pre-register. And it is on our website. It's location. I believe it's at the library in Mankato, um, six o'clock to 730. And even uh, Joe Fritz gives a little presentation on the history of the wolf. And um, then I talk about what we're doing moving forward in legislative legislative session. Would that be tonight, Thursday, or tonight. Friday? Tomorrow okay. night. Which oh, is- tonight. Sorry. Ha, 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 ha. Thursday, November 16th. My apologies. No problem. No yes. Problem. Yes. Uh, if you're in anywhere in the southern Minnesota district, even if you're not the Mankato district and you want to stop by, please do. I mean, yeah. we'd love to have you. Um, but anyway, moving forward, the, um, we also have this wolf forgiveness bonus program and we did manage to get a few producers, livestock producers to take our money, which was very interesting to see the difference between a true, what you think was a true loss and what you think was a fake. Mm -hmm. And I paid out both, but, um, I know when I'm getting fooled and, but I won't be fooled twice. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Fool me once. Uh, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Yeah. So, so we won't get fooled twice, you know, 
And just like the Who song, we won't get fooled again. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so on that note, I think that's the update. Well, we got a couple more minutes too. Maybe we can get a, a little deeper in uh, in that buyback. Can you tell our audience what that is? Uh, and oh, uh, the wolf, the, it's called the Wolf Forgiveness Bonus Program. Right. And really, the whole point was to turn people's heads, basically to say, "Hey, we'll pay you if, even though we you think a wolf killed your livestock, right? Um, we will pay you if you're willing to forgive that wolf <laughs> and not have the wolf killed." Mm-hmm. And now then we run into what's a very interesting situation where a livestock producer uh, may call the USDA to assess their loss to try to get reimbursement from the federal government for the loss of the livestock. Hmm. And then from us, they may try to get, which is fine, I'm more than willing to give it money for not having the wolf killed. But then they run up against the USDA guy who wants to trap out all wolves he gets any complaints on because he believes he's creating killer wolves. He has a really weird mindset, but I've, um, and I don't know what to do about him other than to, to try to keep uh, pushing home the point that no wolves are, it's not what you think is going on. Wolves are, are not growing everywhere. We don't have tons of wolves. They're, they're struggling and uh, we don't need to be killing them as much as we do. So the wolf forgiveness bonus program is just kind of a twist to tell people, Hey, you can actually earn money to not have a wolf killed and, and just makes them think about it. And mm-hmm. we have had takers. So, um, and, and it sounds like and, and fibbers too, huh? Fibbers. I had one fibber, but like I said, I won't be fooled again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're here with Dr. Maureen Hackett, uh, CEO and founder of Howling for Wolves. And we always love to howl and, uh, and, uh, and we think of our wolves and, I, I just hope, uh, because we're all over Wisconsin, too, with our show, Maureen, uh, I just hope Wisconsin's hearing this. Uh, they don't need another wolf hunt, and that was just so devastating. And uh, uh, talk to your, your people, your politicians about that in Wisconsin. very hard for them there, but luckily there is change happening in Wisconsin. But it is very difficult. And Maybe Wisconsin even, maybe they'll have more of a way in with the courts. I don't know. But we did have some people from Wisconsin at our um, East Metro event, t- sort of taking stock in what is happening in Minnesota, how different it is than in Wisconsin. We're sad about Wisconsin, very sad about it. Yeah. Um, here, we want to, you know, we want to demonstrate in the state of Minnesota that we can have all non-lethal methods and that killing a wolf can be a rare and regretful event. And that's exactly. what we need to do. Well, thanks for stopping in and giving us a great update. And thank you always, all these years of support uh, to Native Ritz Radio. We really appreciate you and all the great work. I think uh, what we got to do, Haley, is uh, do one more call for uh, this show is, or this portion's brought to you by real quick. Okay. Yes. And give to the max. This portion okay. of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh. Max, uh, you're listening. Radio presents. I'm awake, and we'll be back tomorrow.